0: Astrid and Jamila would like to acknowledge that this podcast was made on the lands of the Wurundjeri and the Boon Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging, and we note that this sovereignty was never ceded. Hello and welcome to a special episode of Anonymous Was A Woman where we celebrate some of the authors appearing at the Melbourne Writers' Festival. Of course, the Melbourne Writers' Festival this year, like so many artistic and literary pursuits, has been rudely interrupted by the coronavirus. A small number of events were able to go ahead online, but many authors weren't given the chance to talk about their books. Two of those authors, both women, join us today. First, we are joined by Claire Thomas, the extraordinary author of The Performance, which is one of the most talked about books of 2021. The Performance takes place in a theatre where three women have gone to see a show of a Beckett play while bushfires rage outside the city. There is Margot, a successful professor, there is Ivy, a philanthropist with a troubled past and there is Summer, a young theatre usher. Interestingly, as the performance unfolds, so does each woman's story. Please make Claire Thomas very welcome. Claire Thomas, welcome to Anonymous Was A Woman. We only have a short time with you today, so I'm getting right into it. There will be a few, a very few readers who have maybe not at least caught a glimpse of the cover of the performance. It is absolutely everywhere, but there might be a handful who haven't got around to the reading part. Yeah, Can you give us a very brief plot synopsis? Uh, Yes,
1: it is a simple premise. It takes place during a single performance of a play, which is Samuel Beckett's Happy Days. And so the novel starts as the audience members are arriving in the theatre and it ends as the curtain falls. And the whole novel takes place inside the minds of three characters, all of whom are watching the play. One of them's a a young Usher. The other two are audience members. And that's it. As far as plot, there's not a whole lot.
2: Ah, but there is so much plot behind the scenes because everybody's interior lives are so intricate and fascinating. This is the kind of work of fiction that when you pick up you don't want to really put it down because it just flows it's a really lovely experience it just flows I wanted to ask you Claire about how the characters were feeling even though they were watching this play so there is a huge amount of existential angst. There Mm -hmm. are bushfires burning outside the theatre that is in Melbourne and the air conditioning is set incorrectly inside so people are still having a little bit of trouble breathing or not coughing for obviously different reasons and it feels like the outside real life is falling all over and impacting the play and what the characters are seeing on the stage and how they are feeling. Why did you choose to take a performance, like a literal performance, and use it as a vehicle to show the inner workings of so many women?
1: I wanted to contain them. I wanted to lock them into a space. And so it was a technical device in that way, because it's a very particular period of time. And, you know, you can collect disparate people in the one place. It's not a contrivance in that way you know they are there so that's already just a fact and so I found the tension of their lack of physical mobility paradoxically it kind of afforded me this endless space to move around internally the kind of the layers of containment that as you said this there's this pressurized outside world and then that's hovering and, and they all have different feelings about that and that means you know the outside world is a lot of different things to each of them of course and then the actual thing of being in a chair in a theatre as a way of kind of reflecting a incapacity that a lot of people feel about a lot of things but also as an actual physicality and so that this kind of false intimacy you have with strangers in a theatre space I do find that an interesting thing and I think that's a become a more curious notion now with COVID that it sort of that stuff resonates in a way that I couldn't have imagined that it would look I've hit on the idea and I held on to it for a long time before I actually got around to writing it because I just thought it was high concept and I liked the idea but I hadn't I didn't quite work out took me a while to work out how to do it but I knew that I was onto something as a kind of structural formal
0: thing there was so much of the work that resonated with me and I remember that experience in 2019 of the fires burning around Australia and then the presence of smoke in the city but kind of going about and doing my ordinary stuff and feeling a bit silly like the country's on fire and I'm going to the chemist it felt quite inconsistent and I think you're right there is a huge potency to your work that I imagine was not expected at the time which is that covid does that to us again, that so many of us, certainly in Australia where we've been spared the worst, are living our ordinary lives with this sense of what's going on around us that we can't necessarily see? Yeah, but I think
1: (laughs) that's the nature of any life, that you're in your own bubble to some extent. At any point and that's exacerbated at the moment when you know we're using language around bubbles and lockdown and and it's also exacerbated in literally when you're in a space that you're contained inside and that's what I wanted to really try and embody that the impossibility of processing everything in one mind.
0: You said that you had the concept for the performance sort of moving around in your head for some time. Your first novel, Fugitive Blue, was published in 2008. I imagine there's a bunch of ideas that come into your head over that period of time, right? What was it that made you pause and go, no, 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 this one, this one's worth pursuing, this one's worth putting down on the page?
1: Well, I just knew that it solved certain problems, formal and creative problems in it by its very nature. And it allowed me to do what I was interested in doing. I didn't really have other projects that I kind of abandoned or, oh, well, there was sort of one thing, but that turned into a PhD. So that was fine. But this was just always the thing I was going to do when I was able to do it. It was just getting to the being able to do it. It took some time.
2: I love it. How the one other idea that you had just accidentally turned into a PhD, that is very, very impressive. I'd like to talk about the themes in the performance. So, I mean, we have three women and we are very much inside their minds, but they are experiencing fear. They are experiencing, they are questioning what they're doing and who is in their life and in what role those people are in their lives. And you're really putting forward women's internal lives as worthy of an entire novel. Now, I am obviously here for that, but that is not necessarily what we get in lots of literature, including literature with female characters.
1: Absolutely. I think that I just allowed myself to go there. Once I started writing it, I just was very much allowing their consciousness to be whatever they were like I think there's that thing of second guessing it's not interesting enough it's not worthy enough that that little thought isn't anything but I was running with it and I think that there was a sort of creative freedom that I allowed myself to get to which was about not having those voices saying this isn't the stuff of literature because to me the minutiae of other people's minds is is the most fascinating thing in the world and so and the way that all that stuff kind of interconnects and resonates across is to me absolutely the stuff of literature.
0: The performance has now been published in the US. I imagine that must have been both exciting and daunting. What did the process involve of having the manuscript released over there? Were you expected to make changes?
1: So it's out in the UK and the US. I sort of had three publishers for the English language edition and really two of them did the large edits. And then there was this Americanization, which I was very concerned was going to be like nappies into diapers and, you know, faucets and, you know, but it was nothing. Literally they changed no language. So they kept the sort of local, the vernacular that makes it Australian. The only word they changed was interval to intermission, interval they said it would just be an unnecessary kind of confusion. I was like, okay, that's nothing. And then the spelling. So that's been fine. And now I'm starting to deal with translations and that's blowing my mind. Just the very notion of that I find just such a privilege and that someone else is in my words in that to that extent. I just think it's kind of some kind of crazy magic translation. And the fact that they're doing it to my book is incredible. And there's been issues with the title because the word performance has a lot of layers in English and there's not a word in some of the European languages that has quite that much evoked in it so that's been fun too.
0: Claire we are slightly furious that we have such a short time with you today thank you for letting us get just a few minutes into your head. Thank you so much for having me. Guest is Sophie Gonzalez, author of Only Mostly Devastated. This beautiful book was shortlisted for the Waterstones Children's Book Prize in 2021. It is all about Ollie and Will, who are a summer fling, but they are a summer fling turned classmates. This is a really gorgeous queer reimagining of the Grease story, and we think you're going to love it, even if you are kind of grown up. Sophie Gonzalez, welcome to Anonymous Was A Woman. We're so thrilled to have you. We're going to get right into this because we don't have a lot of time with you and I'm making the most of it. Only Mostly Devastated has been described as Love, Simon, crossed with Clueless, crossed with Grease. Did those books inspire you at all or does that description make you shake your head vigorously?
3: (laughs) Definitely, definitely, Greece was a big part in coming up with the concept for Only Mostly Devastated. We were mostly trying to emulate all of those, like, really well known rom coms from the 90s. So, Clueless wasn't mine necessarily. I think they were, that was my publisher's leaning into, like, the sense of humour a little bit. And then Love Simon, Simon versus, I suppose, that whole coming out aspect, queer teens doing their thing with a lighthearted feel. Obviously, it's really flattering to be
2: compared to Love Simon in any way. So I was like, oh, excellent. You write for a teenage audience. What do the readers of your novels tell you about your work? Why do they keep coming back to your stories? And what do they find in the worlds you create for them?
3: Well, I hear compliments about different aspects, but I think that the thing that people usually go out of their way to message me about is, well, this is the first time that I've seen something that I went through put on the page. That's what I hear. And that doesn't mean that my book's the first (laughs) of anything, but I suppose we're still in that stage particularly when it comes to queer fiction, that not every book can do everything for everyone. So while there are so many fantastic queer stories out there, any queer story that comes out is probably going to be the first one that does something. And there's someone out there who went through that themselves and they've yet to see it on the page. And it's this really, I suppose, important experience for them to be able to see that represented and I love hearing from readers who can reach out to me and, you know, it's an emotional message to receive and they're emotional and, yeah, it's really special.
0: I suspect that that experience of people saying this is the first time I've seen myself represented on the page also speaks to the age of your audience. You know, Mm -hmm. they're still discovering the world of literature and so for them, and I certainly remember for me as, as a teenager, books had such an impact on shaping my life in the way that as an adult I can still love reading something but it doesn't have that world shifting personality shaping (laughs) influence that perhaps it did when I was younger can you tell us about your process of creating characters and maybe we take Ollie as an example how do you ensure that a character is authentic and going to speak to the people who are reading it because you know if I know anything about young people it's there's no bullshit (laughs)
3: Yeah, well, I definitely put parts of myself in every character, but then I I like to shape them by creating a collage out of people that I have met or you know, just different traits. I'll think if I want a character to be really lovable, I'll think about all the best people in my life and what makes me love them, what kind of things do they do? And, you know, I might borrow (laughs) traits or kind of experiences and change that up for the page. I, I put a lot of my own humor. I, I really love just kind of going all out with the jokes and I can hear the characters in my head really clearly as well, which helps me get their personality onto the page
2: A lot of our listeners are adults. I suspect, although I don't know for sure, I don't think we have a lot of teenagers who listen to this podcast. So I guess my question is directed at how do you, as an adult, find a story that's going to work for that younger demographic, that's going to work for the teenagers? And I guess I'm asking on behalf of all the parents who might be listening, how could they connect with the teenagers in their lives through story. What interests the younger generation?
3: Well, I think one thing that really helps me is that I've still got very, very clear memories of being a teenager myself. I'm in my 20s still, but yeah, I kept a really thorough diary. So I can still easily revisit the kind of things that I was feeling and go, oh yes, you know, that was something that these days I might kind of be able to coast with. That was a huge Earth shattering thing to go through at that age. So it's representing that, getting into that headspace without any judgment and without looking down on the reader and saying, oh, yes, this teenager is experiencing this and isn't that hilarious? It's no, this teenager is experiencing this and that is just the world for them. That is reality for the person who's telling this story. And I suppose trying to come at the story from that place of respect. And at the end of the day, I guess there's two sides to the one coin in that teenagers are the same as adults. You know, they're just younger adults at the end of the day that they're going to have just as wide a range of interests. There's going to be things that one teenager thinks is fantastic that another teenager is going to think is Absolutely awful. But then, you know, there are things that I think are quite unique to teenagers, especially teenagers today. As a generation, they're so interested in fairness and equality and diversity and, you know, all these things that really, really matter to them. They want and expect their books to provide that for them and as they should, And then the third thing is just that they can handle a lot more than what I think some adults tend to think that they can. Sometimes you'll see adults being a little bit hand-wringing about the stuff that goes into a book and, oh, well, you know, what lesson will be taken from that? And I think you do need to trust the audience a little bit. And, you know, a teenager can look at a bad situation on the page and know that they're not being
0: told to go and emulate that bad situation in real life. I think, what you say is so true about the expectation of diversity from young people. Yes. They have a different response to other generations, I think, who either see diversity on the page and go, good, that's how it should have been when I was a kid, or, say, with the response to the changing of the diversity of the Wiggles just recently, people mm. who responded saying, well, it's gone too far, it's all crazy, it's all work. whereas I think I think young people are the opposite. They have high standards when it comes yeah. to diversity on the page and they expect you to meet them and your book's absolutely do that. You talked about some of those challenges and problems that come about that when you're younger seem enormous, but some of the challenges that your characters go through are enormous at any age, right? Mm -hmm. Like You look at things like biphobia, you look at fat phobia and restrictive eating these are big questions for any human being, uh, regardless of age. And I know that there are some who'd probably want to shield young people from the complexity and the confronting realities of life. Why is it important for you to kind of create that fictional space for younger people to work through those questions?
3: Because as you said before, you know, books, when you are that age, they go a long way in shaping the way that you see the world. And when you look at stages of, sorry, I'm going to get a little bit, you know, psychological here because I'm a psychologist, but, you know, I am always thinking these things when you look at stages of development, you know, you think about very small children modeling what they see, but that's true across development. And if you see something represented in media and, you know, oh, well, I hadn't actually come across this before. That can often be the first time that you know, this teenager is seeing those ideas spelled out on the page. And I think that there's in Only Mostly Devastated, for example, there is an exploration of grief. There were two main reasons that I wanted to focus on that. One was that I was a psychologist in the school. And one thing that I was noticing was a lot of kids this age are going through their first big loss. You know, a lot of the time it's grandparents or older people in their lives. And the first question that you hear is, is this normal? So how do you know if it's normal, if you haven't seen that represented? So one of the things that I wanted to do was show how different reactions can all be perfectly normal when it comes to grief, because there is no normal. And the other side of that is that I went through the loss of someone my own age when I was around that age. And I remember that being this had a clismic thing obviously and I can still remember the thoughts that I had and it was very much well I didn't think that I would feel this way and I didn't expect to have these thoughts I was thinking that as a teenager and I wanted to put those thoughts in a book so that people can go oh well yeah I did expect that because I've seen it
0: before. Sophie, it has been a brief but lovely chat with you on Anonymous Was a Woman. We're going to let you go, but only on the promise that you come back again. (laughs) Yes, please. That would be wonderful. Thank you so much. for listening to anonymous was a woman that's all we've got time for in this special episode all about the melbourne writers festival if you want to support the melbourne writers festival to come back into our lives in person next year you can donate at their website we'd like to thank bad producer productions future women and hachette publishing for making anonymous was a woman possible if you'd like to make sure you never miss an episode then you should subscribe or follow wherever you get your podcasts see you soon